This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Reconstructionist by Jonathan J. Foster. With so much changing in our society around sexuality, authority, patriarchy, religion, truth, and more, what we need is a book to help us navigate those changes while keeping love at the forefront. The Reconstructionist is that kind of book. Pick a copy up today on Amazon or any other fine digital retailer. The Reconstructionist. People greater than text, mercy greater than sacrifice, and love greater than fear. They're all around us and they all have a story to tell. Each of us can learn something from someone else if we just stop and listen to their story. Hi, I'm Leslie Neese. I want to welcome you to Honoring the Journey podcast. My friend Karen Schock and I co-host and we decided this would be a great place to share stories of people from different faiths, cultures, lifestyles, backgrounds, all in an effort to understand a different perspective without religious baggage. No more fear, no more judgment. Have you ever just wanted to understand someone's perspective better? Well, this is your chance. We hope today's journey is going to inspire you, soften your heart a bit, and maybe even knock down some walls that you may have built up without even realizing it. Let's honor someone's journey today. Welcome back to Honoring the Journey. I'm Leslie Neese with my friend Karen Schock, and I, I cannot wait to honor the journey of our guest, Jonathan Foster. He is a former pastor at the Church of the Nazarene, and uh, he has a doctorate in mimetic theory, which I had to ask him what that was, and maybe he'll even share with you again, because I had no idea, and uh, <laughs> open and relational theology, which is so, so cool. He has a podcast. He just interviewed in December, Rob Bell, really fun. And uh, he's been married for 34 years. He has three children. Um, there's two sons that uh, he has now. His daughter passed away in 2015. I'm sure he'll touch on that during his journey. And he's a recent grandpa. I can't tell you, Jonathan, how jealous I am that that is, I mean, like that you have a grandkid, the cutest little baby. Are you so excited? I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, yeah, she's a week, little over a week old, and it's pretty unbelievable. <sighs> Oh my goodness. I'm so jealous in such a good way. But also you've written a book that was just released. I think it was October, right? Of last year. Uh, uh, well, yeah, t officially December, but yeah. December. Okay. Yeah. So, well, it was, it's called Indigo, the color of grief. Mm -hmm. And um, I've read samples of this book and I got to tell you, your writing really, really resonated. I cannot mm -hmm. wait. To, I want to get it on uh, audio because you say it's on audio and I'm, I'm an audio reader which means I stay busy with my hands while mm -hmm. I listen. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm looking forward to to hearing it and and just kind of seeing this journey through your eyes. Welcome to Honoring the Journey, Jonathan. Thank you very much for having me and congratulations on the new podcast. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I know you guys are pretty brand new and I'm really excited about what you're going to get to do and honored to be here with you today. Yeah, we, we're really excited. Karen and I, we, I don't know if you even realize we just met like not too long ago and, and we haven't even met in person. We yeah. only met uh, because we're both authors through choir publishing. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, I saw her writing, which I think is very similar to you. You guys have a very similar style of just That's raw. Nice. 
Thank you. It's beautiful. And I saw her writing and I was like, oh my gosh, you are such an amazing writer. And then we had coffee and that's all she wrote. So we're now <laughs> doing a podcast together. It's been so yeah, much cool. fun. And we're in our 50s. I think you're probably in your 50s too, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Deep into my 50s. Absolutely. Ooh, deep. Mm-hmm. We're sort of in the middle of ours. We're both. Wait, are, you, are you pushing 60? Well, I mean, it depends. I'll be 56 in here in a couple of months. So I, I guess Woo-hoo. you can round up. Yeah, we're, we're right there. Yeah. I'll yeah. be 55 in October. So I'll, yeah. be, I'll be rounding up in October. I'm with you. Yeah. Can, can we just like celebrate for a moment that the three of us in our 50s like woke up? <laughs> I mean, there's sure. it's hard to find people our age. It's usually millennials and Gen Z, whatever, but it's not and it's not um so much our age group. I feel like a lot of people get kind of set in their ways and kind of dig their heels in. And um somehow the three of us found our way to the open and relational kind of theology kind of camp, I guess you could say. So speaking of that, Jonathan, I would love to hear a little bit about your journey. I guess what started you sort of looking through what you were believing and and teaching and made you start questioning it? Yeah. So I came from a pretty um, traditional middle of the road, Bible believing, overly legalistic uh, church denominational background, though my family was was great. My dad and I had a good relationship, but he was my pastor. Both both granddads were pastors. So uh, I'm pretty much steeped in into that tradition. And it's really like probably a lot of us is kind of co- complicated. Like there was a lot of uh, a lot of legalism, but also a lot of love. And um, what I think has happened is that the love has been more enduring and more substantive. And it's helped mm. me deconstruct the legalism in the end. So I'm really, really grateful for that. And it's really odd um, because in my differentiation journey from my tradition and from my family, you know, I had to figure out what to do with both of those things, both love and legalism, because I got a health, healthy dose of both. But yeah, I'm really, really grateful for the love piece. Um, so yeah, I didn't have much of a chance in the mimetic world we live in. Mimetic means, you know, imitation and that our desires are influenced by the desires of others. So, I mean, growing up in that family, I was either gonna be a a builder, which my dad built churches everywhere that he pastored, or I was gonna be a pastor probably. I mean, most likely. I really would have liked to have been a professional football player, but I wasn't good enough. (laughs) So, so yeah, I I wound up going the pastoral route and there's there's a lot. I mean, one of the thing about one of the things about getting into our fifties. I mean, the story just gets bigger and bigger and longer. There's so much that goes into it. But I, I'd say briefly, and I was a church planning pastor. I, I knew pretty quickly I wasn't going to work in traditional church settings. But, um, mm-hmm. but church planning was a lot of fun for me, and, and for the most part, we really enjoyed that. And, but uh, real briefly, I mean. Uh, there were at least three or four things that were happening. One of them was I was just running up against uh, contradictions that existed in the Bible, and I was trying to be intellectually honest about what those things meant. And then the second thing is I kept running into people who were different than what my tradition was telling me I need to, like mm-hmm. in, in my discipling process, what, what's this person supposed to look like? It wasn't looking anything like people coming to my church. Um, they were very different. And probably the most obvious of that would have been LGBTQ plus human beings. And I would leave encounters with them thinking, oh man, those were really 
cool people and like intelligent and insightful and thoughtful, right? All these things yeah. that I couldn't necessarily yeah. say of all my heterosexual friends. And mm -hmm. so that served to destabilize me. And then the third piece was definitely very much just the amount of loss that we've gone through. Sometimes mm -hmm. I say it, the amount of subtraction uh, we've gone through, particularly as it was contrasted against my very addition-obsessed world that I lived in. Uh, and I mean that both the world and the church world. Um, mm -hmm. Church planting especially is very, very competitive. I mean, no, we never say that. But it's very competitive, and um, we would say uh, we were co-laborers. Remember, we wouldn't yeah, say right. we were competitive. We were co-laborers, oh, yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> of course, yeah. All, all kinds of uh, terms that we use to signify <laughs> other things. But what's going on underneath is uh, there's a lot of good stuff, but there was a lot of gross stuff. So I, I'd say all the subtraction that we went through in the midst of an obsession-obsessed world, and the biggest of those subtractions was. Well, I don't know if the biggest is the right way to say it, but the, the most intense was when our daughter was killed in a car wreck on New Year's Day of 2015. Mm -hmm. So I'll just wrap up by saying, like, all, all that other stuff had already kind of been serving to destabilize me, but the, the suffering piece and the, like, what the expletive just happened and what does this mean, um, that piece of it really was like high-octane fuel that... Mm -hmm. uh, sped up and catalyzed my whole like what do i really imagine is going on and so mm -hmm. that led into yeah finishing a master's and then finishing the doc doctor which i never it's it's laughable if you would have known me years ago i mean this just was this was not the plan at all but mm -hmm. when you have so many questions you just kind of pull on that thread and then it's led to me writing books and the culmination of it at least where we're at right now is indigo the color of grief. Yes. And I love that. I, I actually have always loved that color, but mm. I, but it's always kind of, there is like a sadness to it. Mm. It's, it's weird. And, and so I, I thought that was interesting that you picked that color. I would love to hear more about that. If you don't mind, can you touch on why yeah. you use that word? Um, it is an evocative word. I think it's a, it's a word that kind of gets got stuck in my brain a few years ago. And as writers do, Karen knows this, and Leslie, you probably do too, in creative content stuff. Like certain words, certain ideas, you, you think, oh, that's really cool. For example, like right now I'm living with the word murmuration. Murmuration oh. is, um, you all have seen it, like flocks of birds up in the sky and, and they all uh, operate like with one mind, basically, like the flock and they move in and out. Or a school of fish, that's called a murmuration. And, um, I've thought for quite some time that there's some really interesting uh, spiritual theological metaphors with all of that. Anyhow, that's for another podcast. Yeah, but, <laughs> another book. <laughs> yes. Right, another book. Uh, but yeah, indigo. So first of all, I thought it was a cool word. And then secondly, uh, the more I thought about it, it was like, uh, oh gosh, what is indigo? Is it purple? Is it blue? It's some gradation mm -hmm. of going from light to dark, or if you turn it upside down, dark to light. Um, so I like kind of all the ambiguity of that. And then um, also it does make a one word appearance in the book. So something of an Easter egg, if people are interested, they can uh, they Ooh. can find, find it in the book as well. So I think it has uh -huh. some, I'd like to think it has some layered meaning to it. Yeah. 
Well, so you you mentioned that you had some, there were some contradictions and some you know things that you kind of struggled with mm-hmm. even before your daughter's uh, passing away. So mm-hmm. can you like maybe give us some examples of some things that maybe were you, was there something you were teaching that you were like, whoa, wait a minute, I don't know if I believe, or was there something that you were, you know what I mean? Because that mm-hmm. to me has been the hardest part because I was, I was a teacher of course, yeah. to women, not to men. And well, course, um, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I just, you know, once I started to sort of wake up a little bit, and I don't even know what else to call that. But yeah, it's like waking up. I started to kind of look through like, I don't know, I, everybody wanted me to talk about hell, everybody wanted me to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, all these horrifying things. Um, while I'm bringing the quote, good news, it was, it was hard for me. It was, it was really difficult. What was the one or couple of things that really kind of stuck out to you? Well, there, yeah, there's quite a few of them. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, hell is a big one. Um, although I technically never really set out to talk about hell. Um, pieces of it, you know, that were handed to me from my tradition. I didn't really ever take totally seriously. And then other pieces of it, honestly, I just never really thought through. Uh, what's interesting, which by the way, is slightly embarrassing that you can be a pastor and have not thought through some of these things, but that is the world that I was in. Right. Um, what's that? I, I agree. I feel like oh, yeah. once you start to think through it, it gets crazy. And I feel like a lot of pastors exactly. have not thought through it. A lot of people that I know that are mad at me, I just continually want to say to them, can you just think about it? Can you just right. Think about it for me, right. like just a million years, and then another. Mil- Can you think? <laughs> so it does not surprise me that maybe you hadn't thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, because you just don't. That's not valued in right. that culture. I love. Um, is it Mark Knoll? Like one of the first lines of his book, it says, uh, "The scandal of the evangelical mind is that there isn't much of one." <gasps> Ouch. Man, that's really good. But it is true. Yeah, you, you, you're teaching yeah. it because it's what you've been taught and that right. it's true. And it's in the right. Bible. It's clear. Look at it. It's right there. But right. then when you right. start doing the research, you're like, what? Wait a minute. That's not Doesn't the word Jesus used. And I, right. and I think being a parent is what kind of messed it up for me. I was like, mm. there's nothing that my children could ever do that would right. make me want to send them to eternal conscious torment. And I'm like, and I'm nowhere near as loving as God is. So how, and why would he tell me to love my enemies, but then send his to hell? Like none of it, when I really stepped away and started thinking for myself, it just didn't line up. No, there's so many things that don't line up. And so with hell, it's funny, I didn't really set out to talk about it, but what I started doing was talking more and more about love. And it dawned Mm -hmm. on me one day, um, because every time I talk about love, I'd have someone who wanted to take me out to coffee or email mm-hmm. me or text me and want to talk about hell. And it dawned on me one day, the more I talk about love, the more they want to talk about hell. Yeah. It was like Don't this. forget about God's justice. He's not yeah. just loving, right. you know, reprimand. So I went through about a th- two year period where I literally talked about hell more than I had the whole rest of my life put together. And yeah, it all of that just caused me to realize there is something much deeper going on here. And it, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful for people who are listening, who kind of 
this is how they've made meaning out of their world because by the way this is what we do and why we do these things mm -hmm. but um you know, there's something deeper beyond just oh this is what the bible says it's like there was a very tight grasp upon things that was belying i mean the nervous anxiety was belying so much going on underneath mm -hmm. right we're we're just we're wrapped up in this and it that's why it works for us because we don't have to think about it and everything goes on autopilot but yeah that's just one of the many things one of them you know? yeah i think a lot of people who have I mean, for lack of a better term, it's what people are using deconstructed or, you know, gone mm -hmm. through a fate mm -hmm. transition of sorts. Most of them that I know of are incredibly emotional people who feel deeply mm -hmm. and who were in it a thousand percent. Like mm -hmm. they were the poster children of Christianity and really trying to save the world because there is such, such a deep love in these emotional people. And, and they were like, okay, wait, if this is true, I got to get busy. You know, like nobody can go there. And, and I, I have seen that so much and I, I can sense in your writing and in your podcast, you are that deep loving person as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if, do you think that had anything to do with the, the creative, loving, emotional kind of mind? Yeah. Did that help me uh, disassemble? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think I've always felt like uh, probably at heart, I'm an artist more than mm -hmm. anything. And the thing uh, I realized a long time ago about art, uh, and then I began to see how it was not matching up to much theology, was that I was really interested in tension, you know, in art. Like with music, mm -hmm. I really like suspended chords and minor seventh, ninth chords. Um, and 13ths and 15ths in, in harmonics. And when I started to try to overlay that over into my theological thinking, I realized that's not the way it works in my tradition. My tradition is very much major C major chords. And like you get four chords and that's it, right? Um, it's, it's true of our worship songs and it's true of our theology. And so that artistic piece really uh, served me well in that respect because it allowed me to um, pull pull at all that and kind of have a bit more I, I'd like to think a little bit more imagination which um, yeah. a lot of our religious world sorely lacks in it's so true I I have a son he's well he's 31 now but when he was a teenager you know he's super artistic he's a photographer mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um and he, he he's kind of like he likes the black and white kind of creepy and everybody would just look at his pictures and be like oh Oh, you poor thing. You know, he is just so lost. And, and I was like, wait a minute, like, can we not like look at the symbolism in this? Like he's not, he was always so afraid as a child. And I think it's probably because I told him he was going to hell if he didn't say a prayer and mm -hmm. he didn't know if he said it right. And, you know, I'm sure I had a lot to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, and he was just always so afraid. And, and instead of running from his fears, he confronted them with his art. And it did not fit in the church. He never fit in the church. And I, it broke my heart as a mom. And it was the same thing at school. You know, he would go and they were like, you know, let's go into academic shock before you go to college and take all these calculus and all these. And he just wanted to create and it, mm -hmm. he just couldn't fit into school. He couldn't fit into church and seeing that. And, and, you know, he deconstructed before that was even considered a word, you know? Um, and I think 
seeing him and and I remember I used to pray because he was the prodigal, you know, and mm-hmm. and I just, you know, I needed to convince right. him and my, I was mad at my husband all the time because I didn't think he was doing enough as a leader. Um, and I would pray and I would pray. And then finally, I, I just felt like this voice just said in my spirit, treat him as if he's already there. And so I did, I started treating him like he was already there because he didn't want to come around me. I would cry all the time. And, um, and then when I started treating him as if he was already there, I realized he was, Mm -hmm. I was the one that needed to get where he was, you know? And, and I think that artistic, creative, loving, caring spirit really helped carry me out of that mindset. Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate that about you. So um, if you wouldn't mind, I mean, I don't know if, if it's too personal to talk about, but I would love to talk about, um, you know, what was it about? I mean, I'm, I, I can't even imagine losing a child for one thing, mm-hmm. um, but that particular event in your life, I'm sure was a watershed moment for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious um, if you could maybe walk us through how that maybe tipped the scales a little bit. Yeah, it was... Um... It was definitely a catalyzing moment. We have pre New Year's Day 2015 in the foster house, and we have post you know New Year's Day 2015, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's it's quite a thing. And you you never um, I'm sure even as you guys know with all kinds of grief, you never really get over certain things. You just kind of deal with it in new and different ways, and uh, get new waves of interesting thoughts and feelings and introspection you know, about all of it. But um, yeah, I, I think probably to try to answer your question, initially it was like, okay, what just happened? And I wasn't necessarily mad at God and I'm not even, I'm not entirely sure why, except maybe the love piece had already been instilled enough that I'd already kind of, you know, had decided, I'd already been through enough stuff to decide that God didn't will this to happen or, you know, God didn't pull the lever that started mm-hmm. the direct sequence right. of things that made this happen. So maybe yeah, that's, that's hard why. to hear. That's hard to hear when you lose someone. Oh, God yeah. needed an angel or, you know, oh, all yeah. the platitudes. It's just so gross. And you're just like, what? Yeah. I mentioned that in uh, one of the little chapters in Indigo, I, I talk about uh, the dumb things that well-intentioned people say. And, mm-hmm. and it, there's a bunch of them, you know, everything happens for a reason or God needed him in heaven more than they needed him here or, uh, it's just, you know, any number of things that people just, they don't know what to say because they right. haven't thought through it. So they just offer up something. But, um, but yeah, for me initially, I, I don't know that I was mad at God, though I don't blame anyone for being mad at anyone for that matter. Um, not the least of which is God. But I was just more like it sent me deep into essentially what does this mean? And that's kind of really all I've been doing for nine years and two months now. Like, what what does this mean? Not that, and it's not that I've figured it out or anyone can ever really figure it out. But I do think there's something honorable about trying to enter into the thing with intellectual, like integrity. Sometimes is the way I say it, where I don't just go full on, "Oh, God's in control, and one day all evil will be vanquished and conquered." and you know, sin and death and evil is all a sign of just this binary, you know, good and badness. I don't go that direction, but, but as it's turned out, it's interesting. I don't go the other direction either of like, 
well, screw this. You know, this is just all, this is just all clearly, you know, made up shit and just doesn't make any sense. I, mm -hmm. I, for lots of different reasons, and I'd like to think it's because of intellectual integrity. I just keep wound up, I keep wind up being kind of pulled in both directions of like feeling all the pain, but also some of the hope. And that started with, yeah, why, why did this happen? what does this mean? And why did my kid have to die? Oh, why did Jesus have to die? Because for me, all my questions about problems and suffering wound up being connected to Jesus. And again, it's slightly embarrassing to say that I was at that stage in my life and I'd never really decided what my atonement idea mm -hmm. was. Um, but I hadn't. I'd, I'd basically just taken the dominant story and and run with it. I'd, I'd kind of softened the edges, but basically I'd run with it, which the dominant story is that Jesus had to die in order for God to forgive us. You know, God, if God looks at us without Jesus dying, that he, I guess, will be repulsed or, I don't yeah. know, some ridiculous thing like that. So yeah. it's a, there's a lot goes into it, but I'll just try to wrap it up by that piece of it by saying, that that's what led me into Rene Girard and the scapegoating mechanism. And once I read Girard, I had, I say it this way, a reasonably intelligent way of understanding why Jesus had to die. And the reason Jesus had to die is because we killed him. That's it. Right. It's what we Period. do. We've, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've ordered our world upon scapegoating violence. And yeah. of course we were going to kill Jesus. And we did. It wasn't because God needed him to die. So then I started looking around like, oh, well, it's because of the scapegoating mechanism. Well, who are we scapegoating now? Well, there's no shortage there. Plenty of people. But in <laughs> my world. Cancel culture. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everywhere. In my world, the LGBTQ plus were at the top of the list. Mm. So I started yeah. officially changing my posture um, towards that. No so worries. I started questioning. I started changing my posture towards them because I knew at that point, yeah, of course, we're just scapegoating these really beautiful human beings. Um, and then that's when the church, the church uninvited me officially from the tribe. They voted me off. They voted me off oh, the yeah. island. Yeah. <laughs> oh my, I know that all too well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that that's a lot. A There's one. a bunch of stuff that goes in there, but the original question was how did it, that's kind of yeah. how it got started theologically. It just, it, I just kept pulling at the thread and there was no going backwards. No going, once you start going down that road, I you totally... can't unsee what you've seen, unhear what you hear, you know, love so is true. so clear and beautiful and good. And you're like, what? I'm going to turn around because you're not going to give me a paycheck anymore. That's just, that's just stupid. And um, yeah. that's what it really came down to. Well, and that's, yeah. that's hard. To be yeah. in ministry, and that is your paycheck, and that is your livelihood, and then to lose all of that. Oh yeah, yeah, I, I, definitely. I mean, it's it's tough. Karen, yeah. you were going to say something. Yeah, I just wondered where is your wife at with it all, or She's how? Uh, uh, yes, yes, good it. question, Karen. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, roughly speaking, we were at the same time. I'm really thankful for that. That would have been yeah. would have been brutal to to not. Um, I will say that our relationship um, is always, I always am quicker with everything we've ever done, every decision we've ever made. I always get there a little bit quicker than she does. And I don't, well, I started to say, I don't know if it's good or bad. There's definitely been some times when it's not been good. 
because yeah. it's revealed my lack of patience. But um, and so that that happens some with her and us, and probably you guys may know, uh, depending on where you serve the church and what you've done, and certainly some of the listeners. Um, yeah, the whole partnership, husband wife thing, in ministry, super tough. Yeah. Yeah, so not that so she tough. wasn't a she was most of the time she wasn't a paid person at any of our church stuff, but still she was right in the middle of everything. And so you feel all that mimetic energy being in the middle of all that. And obviously, you know, all of us are unique individuals, so we experience and internalize things in different ways. And she grew up very legalistic as well. So there were there were definitely some times where it wasn't fun, but overall and now it we were we tracked together and also we tracked with our boys so when our daughter died yeah. she was 20 and our boy oldest was 17 and her youngest was 12 and so really i'm so grateful that the four of us kind of got to um fall apart together and mm. um you know kind of pull stuff back together at the same time yeah. that meant i took that really really seriously and um that that meant a lot that meant a lot yeah yeah there is something about going through it with your people um yeah. i do my heart breaks for people who are going through this in the family unit not on the same page you know like my extended right. family doesn't get me they all think i've lost my mind and i'm a heretic but the the people in my in my family unit all four of my kids my husband we're all on the same page it's amazing and I think, and, you know, Karen, I think has a couple of kids that are still involved, but they're understanding, I think of where she's yeah. at and supportive, which is nice, but that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I can't imagine. Well, um, we need to take a break. And when we get back, I would love to talk about, if you don't mind, uh, the grief process of deconstruction, because I know mm -hmm. that kind of like, it kind of hit me upside the head. <laughs> I did not realize that was going to happen. Um, if we could kind of maybe spend some time talking about that when we get back, that'd be great. Sounds good. And we're back with Jonathan Foster. And uh, before the break, I mentioned I wanted to talk about the grief process through deconstruction. Because when I was going through deconstruction, not even really knowing what it was called, and I'm not even sure that is what it's called, but that's what you call it if you want people to know what you're talking about. Um I, I was really kind of bamboozled by this. I did not realize there was, I was going to go through a full on like grief process. And, and I, I'm curious if you recognized that as you were going through it and like, what are your observations? What have you found through this? Yeah, there's a lot of common denominators there. I mean, we kind of touched on it briefly before, but you, when you lose stuff, um, whether it's a marriage or a person in your life, or um, a relationship, or basically the way you thought life was going to go, because right. that's mm -hmm. kind of what yeah. it all falls under. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that there are some common things that can be shared across that, um, the pain of all of that. Like also, um, a big thing was identity. I know when in the process of losing a child, the identity of uh, who I am as a father, as a person, as a, as a human being, as you guys know, having kids, like it, it just takes up so much of your, who you are. 
Um, and you don't even mind it. It's just, it's so much fun. It's so great. It's like, you just love these people and they become a part of you. And I even think probably neurologically that um, that begins to happen mm -hmm. as we dwell on them and think about them. These, you know, our brain is affected, which shifts down into our body in a physiological kind of movement um, such that one could might, one could maybe even say something like um, that the idea becomes flesh. The word, you know, of the idea then mm. becomes flesh into us. Ooh, that's so interesting. Wow deeply entangled in so many different ways. And when that's pulled apart, yeah, who, who am I? Now, it's it maybe in some ways less intense um, when you're transitioning out of a church or whatever, but it's a similar kinds of ideas because we live in a relational cosmos and everyone influences us. And I don't desire anything on my own. I'm always, I'm always because it's all relationship, I'm all, always desiring what the other person desires. And so we affect one another and then you move out of that. And then all of a sudden you're left with, well, who, yeah, who am I, who do I, right. who am I desiring now? And who are these people? I, I just realized for some of us, it sounds like the three of us maybe have some commonality here. For some of us, we were in spiritual faith communities that really didn't desire they thought they did but they really didn't desire that we were free they didn't really desire that, that we would think for ourselves and we like all good human beings imitated those desires we imitated the fact that they didn't think we were actually free and we bought into that stuff to break out of that then and be like okay i'm not i am going to believe for myself in myself and think for myself oh crap where do i find I can't, you don't just live in a vacuum. You don't just live isolated. So then you got to find a new community. That's super hard. Right. Um, which is also similar in, this, in some sense of grieving a loss of a loved one. You're in a, you're in a different space and you may or may not want to open yourself up to be vulnerable, you know, to others. So well, I'm probably rambling, but there's a lot of, no, no. A lot of crossover there. I find that was really hard for me, um, letting go of that community and then trying to find new community because, um, I mean, I kept trying, you know, I kept, it was like trying to fit, I don't know, a round peg in a square hole. Like it just, I couldn't fit no matter where I went because there was so much mistrust. Mm -hmm. And I think I was, I was questioning things initially and then the whole like, political thing in like 2016 sure, really yeah. blew my mind. I was like, yeah. wait a minute, what else have I been taught by these people that cannot possibly be true? Because yeah. there was no way I was buying into that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. when did Jesus ever get into bed with politics? Never. As a matter yeah. of fact, it was the political and the and the religious systems that wanted him dead. You know what yeah. I mean? It wasn't the people. It was those, it was the systems. And so I felt like, um, where am I going to find people if I'm not in a church group or, you know, it was all I knew how to do. So well, I tried to, at one point, do a thing called religious rehab. But then I realized when you invite people in the community into a, into a space and they're hurting, like I was, like, nobody wants to talk, like nobody wanted to get together. And <laughs> I just could not find anybody. Right. Nobody wanted to talk about it. They were afraid mm -hmm. they'd be exposed or, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it was, it's, it was a really tough time for me 
trying mm-hmm. to find community. I'm, I'm finally in a good spot, but I think it's taken me getting the courage to actually speak about it myself. Um, but yeah, that. what were you going to say, Karen? I'm so sorry. I kept talking. No, um, the sadness and the grief, it's crazy because you're starting, everything's falling apart in, in your brain and you're like, and then there's this sadness and this grief. And then when people that are still in it see that you're sad and that you're grieving, their answer would be, well, just come back, like, just stop. Like, and so it's crazy because I remember when the whole election happened in 2016, I was, I'd just broken my ankle two days before. So I was already laid up and I'm watching the TV and And I know we're not getting political here, but I was so shocked and dismayed um, that the whole thing was happening. And I, I mean, and I had someone call me and he just came down on me so hard. Like, why are you not happy? We finally are going to get our country back. This is so, you know, and I'm, I'm grieving. I was grieving, not only just obviously is it that deep? I don't know. But not only that, but just the fact that I felt so alone, like, because everybody around me was like, no, we don't see what you're seeing. What doesn't matter that he said that about his hands on the, at the debate. And I'm like, but it does. How does this not matter? Like, so just the whole grieving and then not knowing where to find your people. I think, you know, as a, upset as we can get about the internet and all the things that come along with that. I'm so glad we have this space to be able to find other people who can say, no, I get, I get that grief. I understand that it hurts. It hurts to feel like you're, you're going crazy inside. And that you're the only one. Yeah. Yeah. What I heard you say in there, um, I thought of the word betrayal, like it, you felt betrayed by this system that was telling you, oh, you don't have to worry about these particular things. Um, but you were. And what's funny is all of us, so many of us have, okay, we're in our 50s. We've lived long enough to have experienced the church attach, um, you know, their judgment onto others who were of a different political party for those very same reasons, you know, whatever those reasons might be. <laughs> right. No, we all did. That's it. That's right. Or, uh, the, the, what, what was it? I'm not going to. Okay. Stop. Just <laughs> the Oval Office. I was going to say oral office. I meant. Oh, no. well, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a uh, Freudian. <laughs> but right there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And he was the Antichrist for it. You know, course, we all yeah, thought he was the Antichrist. So I and was just. Along like, comes this guy now who's like the most egregious, hilarious. Like it's just unbelievable. And then. <laughs> Our He's same, the Messiah. <laughs> our same people just, they totally flip. It's its bonkers. It is, it is so crazy. And it none of that really has anything to do with whether or not, you know, you're inclined to think government should be operated in a politically, you know, right. democratic or Republican kind of way. It's all just, it's so much BS. It's, it's just nuts. So I think the betrayal of all of that, um, is also probably really similar to grief that you have the betrayal of of losing someone like mm-hmm. man i just didn't i just didn't see this coming i thought there was something out there or someone out there that was going to be more consistent than this and protect me and i was more secure 
and safe and that things could be controlled. The reality is uh, we, we live in a very, it, it really isn't a controlled reality. Um, there, are, there are certain patterns that thankfully emerge that allow us to, you know, kind of use certain things in order to operate. Otherwise, we would all just go absolutely crazy. But ultimately, it's an undomesticated cosmos that we live in. And to actually enter into that and to think about that is, it's, it's, it's uh, disorienting. Yeah. It's disorienting. It's I mean, I remember disorienting. Yeah, being I was I, the anger phase of grief for me mm. um, really took me by surprise because I am, mm. like I said, I'm all about love and acceptance, and you know, I'm roses and rainbows a lot of time. To be honest, I'm I'm a Pollyanna. I get it. I know I'm that way, but I wasn't all of a sudden. I was mad. I was mad. I felt betrayed. I think that's such a great word. Um, I felt disillusioned. I felt like I had been duped. I really did. And it really yeah. pissed me off. Yeah. And I, the way it manifested was like road rage for me <laughs> for a while. And yeah. I didn't even realize that what was going on until like I had gotten past it. And I went, oh. maybe that's where I've seen you before. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about the finger motion that I uh, threw at you. No, I just like would get so mad. And my kids were like, mom, we can't even be in the car with you. What is happening? I'm like, I don't know. But I just, I, I think I felt safe to be mad mm. at inanimate. But if I mm -hmm. see a face, if I look in eyes, if I, I'm like, right, I right. fall apart. I just love humans. But if they're in a car, they're inanimate and it's okay. I can get mad at them then. I don't know. But it was very, very difficult for me going through that. Mm. and. Mm. It took me by surprise. It really did. So the book that the book that I'm working on now is a book about my parents because I've lost both of my parents uh, eight years apart mm -hmm. through went through hospice. They lived with me mm -hmm. um, and my husband and my family, both of them. So held both of their hands as they went on. And um, I remember the day after my mom died. So my my dad died first. And then eight years later, my mom died. And I remember sitting in the Florida room with my kids and, and other family members, my husband, a niece and different people. And I remember sitting there thinking, I just looked at each one of those people. And I thought, you've got a mom and dad, you've got a mom and dad. And I'm even looking at my own children and going, you've got a mom and dad. You, you know, and I'm an orphan and I just, the aloneness that I felt in that moment and still comes in waves a lot. Um, and just thinking about that. Yeah. I don't know why I'm relating it to, except for it feels that same way too. Like, oh, you're in a church and you're happy. You're in a church. Like you but I, I know there's no going back for me. Like I, I know, and, and it's, and I'm good with that, but there's a certain way that you feel like, oh, my life, my whole life is different now. And I'm different than everyone else. And I'm like, I'm an orphan. I'm 50 and I'm an orphan. Like there's an aloneness that I, yeah. It's hard. Yeah. That's been a really tough transition for me. And I'm sure you're you you're shaking your head, Jonathan. You get it too. Like you've been through that, I'm sure. Especially as a pastor. How hard was that to yeah, step we, away? 
yeah, it was a, it was a, re, it was a rejection, you know, it wasn't even, mm-hmm. it was a step away, but it was at the same time, like, you know, get away from us. And what was mm-hmm. interesting about that time period for us was roughly speaking within a few years, you know, our kid died, both kids, both boys wind up graduating, moving out of high school. We also have, we always had a college kid or two living with us over the years. And so they moved out. All of the girlfriends, you know, weren't coming around anymore. The youth group and the college groups that were coming around all the time when we were pastoring, you know, once COVID hit, that that went away. Um, so it was a three or four year, five year period where like now on this side of it, it's it's quite unbelievable how how much what we just basically are living in the wake of all of this, this giant wave that just left us. And so, yeah, I, I relate to that. And I bet a lot of listeners do, too. Just the, the lonely feeling of it. Um, and I'm not sure there's a way to get around that, except for I hope in a small part a little bit of what we're doing today might help people might help the three of us and then might help others know. And I I do know that's true. I'm sure you, you guys have experienced this too. Um, I don't travel a lot. I'm like not the most well-known, but I get around a little bit and um, speak at a few places and I interact with a few places online. Um, And these kinds of conversations are happening everywhere in our culture. Yeah. at different speeds at different places and spaces but the but the conversation about oh crap what i was in was not healthy and i need to rethink they're happening all over the place and so maybe maybe there's something you know we can take from that just knowing that i think hundreds of thousands i think maybe probably millions of people are having similar kinds of thoughts and that that's going to bear fruit. It already is. Um, It's going to bear fruit at some point. I'll just, one quick thing I'll add to that is um, I don't think it'll be healthy fruit if what it bears is this fruit that just turns around and recreates the same old stuff in like a new fresh looking system. So, uh, and what I'm speaking mostly there to is the scapegoating mechanism of like projecting all of our issues onto someone else and then punishing that those people. I feel like if it's not too judgmental to say, well, first of all, I, I do it myself. So uh, I guess if I'm being judgmental, I can be judgmental toward myself and towards a lot of us in this space where uh, we've just, the, the names have changed, but it's the same, it's kind of the same basic tactic. And that is not sustainable. I mean, that is not, that's what humanity's always done. So this new thing that's happening, I believe with all my heart, wants to, emerge and be embodied in a group of people who actually are pursuing non-scapegoating, non-violent, non-binary love. Yeah. Which is really, really, it's a harder route. It's a harder Mm -hmm. road to do that. It's easier to then now start scapegoating all the evangelicals, you know, and and talk bad about all of them. Right. Um, And I'm as guilty of that as anyone. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily preaching at anyone, but I just would, I'd, I'd love to throw that in there as we're all finding I community love that. Mm-hmm. that we have to really hold ourselves accountable to, to continuing to go. I don't know if I like the word accountable, whatever. The point is just to go deeper into love. That's the point. Mm-hmm. Yes. I love that. Yeah. We, when we started this podcast, honestly, Jonathan, the first conversation we had was we don't want to be mad. 
We're tired yeah. of being mad. Yeah. And we there's not we don't need another podcast out there poking fun of people. No. Um, what we want to do is honor journeys. And you know there what? You if yeah. an evangelical wanted to come on here and share their journey, we'd honor that too. Yeah. I think the whole point is we can still, there is space in the world for all of us. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and we can honor each other in that. And when we don't is when the system starts to crumble at that. That's when we start to say us versus them. And instead of we're all in this together, we're all children of God. We're all trying to connect yeah. with the divine, you know, instead of that, we're just like, well, we've got it right. You know, and you become a fundamentalist in a different way. And, and so it's hard. Karen, it's right? really hard because yeah, well, we've so all been hurt by that. Right. So that's super hard, but um, we have well, to figure out how to navigate that. The yeah. grief process, I think, I think you mm -hmm. have to go through it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think you have to mm -hmm. be mad. I think that that is sure. very healthy and very important, but I sure. think it's also really important, you know, to find a place where you can say, okay, that makes me angry and I'm going to stand out against that. But, you know, it is, it really is. These are people who really believe that they're right. Mm -hmm. These are people, these are human beings created in the image of God who really, the reason that they're so adamant is because they're scared. Afraid, that's that, what I was say, yeah. My heart breaks for that. And so I, I like, I'm trying to remember, Leslie, don't get so mad. Like, don't take this personal. They love you. That's why they're so upset. And that's why they're so, you know, and their, their system feels threatened when you speak out against it. And that's scary. That is so scary when that's what you've built your entire life on. So like looking at it from that perspective helps to soften my heart. And Karen and I have said, we just want to have this, these open, soft hearts when we talk with these people, no matter what they're coming from, you know, whatever religion or, or faith practice or non-religion, you know, um, we'd love to have an atheist on, you know, I just want to know your journey is mm -hmm. it's, it's okay. We can, we can honor each other. Well, um, so Jonathan, what does, what does the next five years look like for you? Oh, my word. I have no real idea. I mean, the dream is um, to sell enough books that I could, I could do that uh, all the time. So nice. I'll continue to do that no matter what. Writing is a really important piece for me. We know we have this thing in Haiti. We started nine years ago. It's called lovehaiti.org. And uh I don't know if your listeners know anything about Haiti, but it's a train wreck of a country for mm -hmm. a ton of different reasons. And, um, but we've been down there for nine years, just doing this. It's just really, it's really just the coolest thing I get to do all the time. We're involved with education and healthcare and soccer tournaments and wealth creation. And um, the country's falling apart, but, you know, we're up in the mountains, you know, in a few communities that are, kind of isolated no one's really isolated there but kind of isolated so uh yeah so we're involved with that a lot um some friends and i started a thing called opentable.network which is for ministry type leaders and counselors and chaplains who have been pushed out of conservative constrictive theological circles who need to find a new home to be credentialed so Wow. I'm doing that. And then Tom Ord and I run Sacrosage Press, where we help people write books. Yeah, I saw that. So you like to help people like put their books together, I think. Is that yeah. right? You like, yeah, oh, that's right. That, 
fun. That's it creative. Is fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. And we do, we have this kind of hybrid press where it's not a, so, so the author gets hundred percent of the royalties. We're not, uh, we don't sign up that piece of it. So it's a one-time fee. And then we walk them through um, how to do all of that. And um, I've really, yeah, I've really enjoyed interacting with other authors, helping them get started on the journey. So yeah, we do that. And so I'm sure I'll be doing all that stuff in the next five years and taking care of grandbabies. That'd be cool. Yes. Do you live near that grandbaby? We do. Uh, she's just uh, just a couple miles away. Our youngest son has got one more year of school out in Colorado, but our oldest boy, he and his partner and our granddaughter are here in town. So we'll we'll get to see her a lot. Seeing her tonight. I have a question. Yeah. I have a question because I was listening to you interview Rob this mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. Did your son, how far did they go with the oh, football? Thanks. Wow. You're going next level, Karen. Wow. <laughs> we uh we've gone to the national championship division two NCAA two years in a row. And wow. uh unfortunately we have lost two years in a row. Okay. Um, but there have been great seasons and my boys got we got one more year. Okay. Uh, and as a parent, it's pretty fun. Also obviously sad and a little scary because we got it's kind of like our last this fall will be our last go around as a that really intense parent child yeah. thing that yeah. you do uh, with sports and all other extracurricular activities but yeah he's got one more year so thanks for asking go go Colorado School of Mines I love that I love that I was like wait a minute I don't know how this how this episode ends I don't know <laughs> so, uh, yeah we have our I have a granddaughter that is 14 so okay. we have and our oldest, our youngest son is 24. So okay. we have now crossed over to the grandparents who go to all the dance competitions. Yep. They yep. live a couple hours, two and a half hours away from us. And we're going down this weekend for the first dance competition of the season. And That's I am cool. all in. Yeah, so, you gotta be, man. You'll get through this little break after next year. <laughs> enjoy this year. And then and then and you then don't know what's coming sad. in a yep. few years, yep. right? I'm looking forward Aww. to it. That'll be fun. Yeah. That will yeah. be fun. Sure. Yeah, I was gonna say it won't be much longer now that now that she's born before she's no. into stuff. So no, it won't be long. Uh, and it's yeah, so I've... nice not to have to go to church. <laughs> right. I can literally like no, I shouldn't say yeah. not to go to church, but not to be so involved that we're like, right. eh, I can't come this weekend because we have the nursery and the you know, oh, yeah. we get to go be with them. So cool. It's a whole different life to not have. I mean, we've had our weekends now for two years and uh, it's a whole different life for sure. Yeah. It's such a great day. Like my husband and I will go skiing or, you know, cause we live in Utah and like most of the people here are Mormon. And so they're like going to, you know, their church yeah. on Sunday. So nothing's crowded on Sunday. Even skiing is a lot easier. <laughs> I'm like, I feel so bad. I'm like, sorry guys, but you know, this is where I'm at. So Anyway, well, this has been an incredible conversation and um, we've just loved getting to know you and I can't wait to hear your book because I'm, I'm a listener. I am not a reader and um, and I will definitely be picking that. How can I get the audio at this point? I know it's not an audible yet, but is it out there? Yeah, it's on Spotify or Apple or I think probably Barnes and Noble, Kobo, but I know most people are picking it up in Spotify. Okay, great. Great. But for Indigo, you, to, the I'll send you, I can even send you a link. So it's not That's even going to be a problem. 
Oh, Jonathan. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, you don't have to do that. But then Karen said, I would love it. I'm like, you know what? So would I. <laughs> Thank you so much. We appreciate sure. it. And so if people want to find you online, Jonathan, where do they go? What do they, how do they find you? Yep. They can find all the books at Amazon and all the other places. But if they want to just connect with me, go to jonathanfosteronline.com. And uh, yeah, you can, we can stay connected that way. And that's a wrap for another episode of Honoring the Journey. Check out our notes page on the podcast for links and information about our topic today. We'd like to invite you also to join our private Facebook page where we're able to connect with you and share stories. And we also pop on occasionally for special live events and answer your questions there. You can always send us an email as well with questions, show ideas, or just to say hi at honoringthejourneypodcast at gmail.com. Have an awesome day. We look so forward to hanging out with you again right here on Honoring the Journey. Thank you.